You're listening to 3CR's Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald, as we investigate the role of landlords, bankers and natural monopoly through the eyes of the commons. Our birthrights, our birthrights. Welcome to the show, listeners. Today, my colleague Emily Sims is back in the hot seat exploring another housing model addressing affordability pressures. Just how can we get more people into housing without those huge overheads? All right, let's go to the interview. I'm here with Ben Keck and Abby Freestone from The Assemble Model. And I have been a subscriber to The Assemble Papers for several years now. And every couple of months, I get a lovely email in my inbox uh, describing and a number of different projects happening around Melbourne or interviews with people from all over the world, exploring the culture of living closer together, exploring small footprint living across art, design, architecture, urbanism and the environment, and also finance. And it's how we design financial models for living closer together that really intrigues me and I know intrigues many of our listeners. So when I read about the uh, Assemble housing project, I thought, well, this is very, very new and interesting. And I was also glad to see something, you know, we talk a lot about the culture of living together. And often, you know, particularly with the Assemble papers and in this space as well, it can feel quite an exclusionary kind of culture. So I was intrigued and excited to read that we're putting some rubber to the road, so to speak, on getting an inclusionary housing model going. So I'd like you guys to introduce yourself. Abby, what's your background and how did you get involved with Assemble Model? I actually have a background in urban planning and studied a Bachelor of Environments at the University of Melbourne. I've always been very passionate about sustainability. Um, I grew up in the country and so I've always kind of held um, that value close to my heart. And I spent a few years living um, in America and I I kind of got back and the stars aligned and... um, was this position available at Assemble, which was kind of perfect for my interests and my background. And um, so I came on board at the beginning of the year, and I am the head of community, so working closely um, um, with kind of prospective residents and the public and helping people to understand how the model works and um, just communicating um, that with everyone, so, and working closely with the team and Yeah, it's been an interesting experience so far and it's just been fantastic since we launched a few weeks back. Ben, did you want to describe what what you've what your background and what you bring to this project? Yeah, sure, Emily. So um, I'm strategy uh, director at Assemble and my background's in finance and law. Um, And I started my career um, uh, in investment banking, um, selling my soul for three years. and uh, have gradually moved into the, the property uh, space. So I co-founded Assemble six years ago, uh, and uh, we're, we're just about to finish our first project in Clifton Hill, and very excited about the new chapter for Assemble with the, uh, the, the Assemble model. I read somewhere, perhaps just glanced at something today, that you won some kind of award for selling the greatest amount of property in the shortest amount of time with the Clifton Hill project? Yeah, look, uh, the, the, the Premier's Design Award uh, in 2016 for service design. 
and that was just an acknowledgement of the community engagement process, uh, the, the different the different way we went about engaging with the prospective residents for that project, and it was very much about design presentations and and getting their feedback and incorporating that into the design, uh, rather than just sort of asking them to walk into a display suite and you know put down their ten percent. Which is generally what happens with buying off the plan apartments. Correct. Yeah. So, I guess to expand on that, I mean, when when you say that you um, you won the service design award for engagement, how did you go about engaging that community, and what was that community of buyers? I suppose it started by um, engaging with the local residents in Clifton Hill, and before we submitted a town planning application. Uh, getting them into the office and hearing about their ideas and potential concerns about the project and sharing our vision for the project and I suppose trying to find as much common ground as possible and that was a a way to get the local community on board and we uh, avoided VCAT by sort of undertaking that consultative approach. And then the next stage was to engage with um, the prospective residents or purchasers and uh, we reached out to our audience through Assemble Papers and uh, there was a lot of interest in the project and undertook a number of design presentations, got their feedback and all of that culminated in a design that was more tailored uh, towards their needs and a, a project that had a very strong community focus and you know, it, it resulted in uh, a very strong sale, sales result in, in, a, in a quick amount of time. But um, yeah, I should say it was very much a joint effort with Assemble and the other development partners uh, in the project. It sounds almost like a Baugruppen project. A, you know, we hear about this German model where people come together. I think there's um, Property Collectives is a, a company in Melbourne that does a similar kind of a thing. Run by Tim Riley. Yeah, Tim. Yeah. I met the other week, which was lovely, at a co-housing forum. Um, it sounds similar to that kind of strategy by which you assemble your future residents with a kind of, you know, uh, tactful and um, consultative approach with the existing residents of the community and thereby secure better design outcomes. I wonder, did that translate in, in terms of the economic outcomes? What, who were we, was it, were your prospective buyers much different from, you know, the kinds of buyers that you hear about on the waiting list for, say, Nightingale or other types of projects? Or did you find, uh, I guess, where is the property investor in this project? Were there any? There weren't many, so 95% of the purchases in the project were own occupiers, um, and I think um, you know the, the people that bought in certainly shared similar values to some of the people that are interested in Nightingale. Um, you know those people that are interested in you know community and sustainability focused projects, but in terms of you know the economic outcome of the approach that we took, we're able to save you know about a million dollars worth of sales and marketing costs from that process that we undertook and invest that back into the building. So it's certainly going to be a better design outcome and a better built outcome, you know, through reallocating those savings back into the building. Like Nightingale, did um, your original project exclude developers, uh, investors, sorry, um, in that explicit kind of a way that Nightingale sought to exclude? Uh, it, it didn't. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I, I think it's a positive thing that investors are taking more interest in high quality and more sustainable residential projects because 
when they do that and they buy those apartments in those type of projects, they're renting them out to people and, and people that are renting shouldn't be excluded from high quality, you know, sustainable accommodation. So, um, you know, the, the, the investor side of the market uh, has its problems and has its flaws, but it's also an essential part of the market that uh, is important to acknowledge. You know, having said that, the new assemble model is a different model, which, which is specifically for own occupiers. So let's turn to the new project. I happen to have been following the life, well, not the life story, but certainly the story of the last few years of this particular site, um, the Dex Audio site on Macaulay Road. It's a great location within the Arden Macaulay structure plan area. It's been rezoned for a mixture of uses there now and relatively high density. We know that that's really very close to Macaulay Station, but also falling within that general urban renewal precinct. That aside, I'm interested to know more about what's different in this new assemble model development. Yeah. yeah. So the the assemble model is essentially a a longer term, more accessible pathway to home ownership. So it um, enables people to live in and experience their homes and community before they commit to purchase. And it also has an element of flexibility about it as well in that residents aren't locked in and they can kind of exit if, they, if their circumstances change or if, um, you know, the community doesn't live up to their expectations. So it's, it's this alternative approach that provides a, you know, a security and a certainty of tenure and then also high-quality design that also focuses on commu- the communal kind of... Um, aspect of the project and yeah kind of a long-term approach to a more patient approach to home ownership that's that's exactly right just to to go into a little bit more detail as to how it works practically um, what we offer our residents is a five-year lease Uh, the the market rent is the the commencing rent and it increases by 2.5 percent per annum so there's security of tenure and there's stability of rent and what we also offer is an option for the resident to purchase the par- apartment at the end of the lease term. And that, that price is today's price plus um, roughly 1.75% per annum. So your $500,000 apartment today, you'll be able to buy that in seven years' time, which is the two years of construction, the five years of leasing for about $565,000. So it's a way for people to sort of lock in the price today uh, and you know to get a foothold in the market without the market sort of running away from, from them at sort of three or four percent per annum um, and it also gives them an opportunity to save for seven years so for, for people that don't have you know a hundred or two hundred thousand dollars sitting in their bank account of which there are many um, it gives them an opportunity to you know lock in the price today and get into a disciplined um, savings plan to, to try and achieve um, home ownership and we'll be providing free uh, financial coaching services to, to, to help people with their savings plan. With the 1% down, isn't it, at the very start, when yeah. you take on the lease, it's a 1% of the purchase, purchase price. price. Yeah, so it's a, it's a refundable amount. And if you decide to purchase, that's just applied against the purchase price. If you decide that you don't want to purchase or you want to exit the lease, uh, that, that amount's returned, less um, any 
costs involved in repairing any damage. So it, it, it functions essentially as a, as, a, uh, as a bond. And what do you expect the market rents to be for the five-year lease period? So they, they haven't been set with respect to Kensington, but the important thing to note is it, it's going to be a, a pure market rent. So there's not going to be an additional amount on top of that because of the nature of the the model. It's going to be set at a market rate for you know a, a, a well-designed, well-built building in, in that in that location. And that market rate won't fluctuate. It'll be the same all the way through. So um, it'll be set for the first year and it will increase by 2.5% per annum. So you'll know exactly what you're paying in each of the five years. And you know, that, that, that level of increase is, is quite a, a reasonable level. It offers security definitely for the person who, the tenant, the prescriptive tenant, and let's face it, could be me. I mean, it sounds very attractive to somebody in their sort of early 30s, locked out of the market, as so many of us are, where paying rent every month is what uh, makes it so much harder to save a deposit mm. because as you, you know, many of us who have been uh, renting where we rather maybe prefer to have purchased, it's when the rent escalates that it really erodes into the capacity to save a deposit. So having that security would be very useful for somebody trying to, as you say, get a foothold into the market. I wonder what the risk is though if Let's just say, hypothetically, um, Arden Macaulay District, that area, it's mm. suddenly flooded with apartments, similar mm. apartments, mm. Um, and the, the tenant finds themselves locked into a five-year lease when around the corner the apartment rents are dropping. Yeah, good question. So all, all that you will commit to is the first 12 months, and then beyond that um, you can leave with one month's notice. So... Uh, there's there's really you know not much to lose, and and likewise with the option to buy you know it's not it's not an obligation it's it's only if you want to do that. Um, so as, as Abby mentioned that there is um, you know flexibility with the way the model works and and you know pretty much if it doesn't live up live up to your expectations, then you know you you, you can sort of you do have the flexibility to exit. That's quite a little a lot of risk that the developer is taking on there. How are you managing that kind of potential? Because I guess the other thing I, I think of is not only the potential rental supply that coming on, but also the supply of new apartments in, in Melbourne more mm. generally. I mean, the apartment market's often sort of slated for some kind of downturn like we've seen mm. in other residential areas. I don't want to get too much into market sure. stuff. It's boring as. But um, in terms of like... I'm, I'm, what I'm interested in is who's backing this project? Which, which financier has gone out on a limb yeah. away from the mainstream model to do something a little bit crazy? Yeah. Um, so the, the model um, has been based on um, financial returns, which are roughly half uh, the annual returns of the off-the-plan model. So um, you know, with, with an off-the-plan development that goes for three years, typically a developer will try and achieve a 25 to 30% equity return per annum. The, the assemble model is based on you know, roughly half those returns. So it's, it's a, a model for investors that are happy to take a longer term, more patient, lower, uh, lower return sort of approach. And yeah, we, we've, we've sought private funding for this first project in Kensington. Uh, and we have ANZ on board that are providing the, the debt, the, the loans to, to fund the construction. 
but and we're also in discussions with sort of larger super funds to be the the, the investors in the model going forward. You're on 3CR's Renegade Economists uh, with uh, Emily Sims hosting this week's show. She's interviewing Ben Keck and Abby Freestone from Assemble, a creative new housing model here in Melbourne, trying to uh, improve people's ability to enter the housing market on more affordable terms. So this is a sort of a take on build to rent in some ways that gives the optionality of home purchase. And I noted today that Mervax announced its build to rent club. We have yeah. a club now. Yeah, that's Will right. you be involved in Mervax build to rent club? Uh, no, we won't be. But um, you're right to say that it is a, I suppose, a, uh, a take on the, the build to rent model. And, and Chris Staff, managing director of Assemble, uh, he's been working uh, on this model for the past three years and has done a lot of research. Uh, and uh, has engaged advisors to help refine and um, evolve the model. But the traditional build-to-rent model, the exit is that you sell all the apartments in one line to a a pension fund or a superannuation fund. This is different in the sense that we're selling them, you know, individually to the residents that are occupying the building. And speaking of residents that are occupying the building now and into the future, one of the most interesting things to me about the Nightingale model, and we keep I keep mentioning the Nightingale model because, you know, it was quite pioneering in Melbourne in many ways and enabling um, alternative types of development to go forward, proving to the market, so to speak, proving to the development industry that another way was possible. At least that's what their website says. I believe it to be true. Their model incorporates not just a capped profit margin for the developer themselves, but also a capped capital gains for the exiting mm. um, homeowner. Mm. And I'm very interested to know whether or not a sample model will incorporate something like that. So in terms of, uh, let's just say I buy the home mm. and I rent for five years and I manage to save, probably attending your financial coaching clinics, and I, I purchase the apartment. And then in 10 years' time, mm. you know, tracking at the long-term average of Melbourne prices over the last 20 years or whatever. It's, mm. you know, the capital uh, gain I can can uh, take away from selling that is, like, you know, maybe double. Yeah. Where does that place the next generation of homeowners? Does the model incorporate a, a mechanism for ensuring that the next round of people into the project are able to get a foothold? Um, well, look, there's, there's no restrictions on what our purchases, our residents can sell their apartments for, you know, after they buy it, after the five-year lease. So if, if, if you want to sell it for whatever the prevailing market value is at that point in time, you'll, you'll, you know, you'll be entitled to do that. Uh, you know, within the five-year lease period, if you decide that it's not for you for whatever reason, then we'll uh, give someone else an opportunity to sort of step into your shoes on the same terms, so the same rent, the same purchase price, so that there's equality amongst the residents. But as for your other question, you know, what what does this um, do for the next generation? I suppose we, we hope to be still uh, undertaking this model or the iterations that come from it for, for a long period of time. This is a model that we intend to scale and, you know, we, we see it being a more accessible 
pathway to home ownership um, and we, we hope to be providing that to, to future generations as well. Thanks, Ben. Um, so I guess I, I want to come back to that because for me that's at the heart of a kind of economically sustainable model in terms of home ownership. I feel like one of the key problems in Melbourne's housing market is this pursuit of capital gain at the expense of home ownership for so many. Um, so I wonder, did you guys consider um, adopting the capped capital gain kind of models that, that Nightingale has used or um, other uh, models such as the Community Land Trust model uh, have adopted? Well, look, effectively, um, our model does have capped returns because uh, where the price at which you can purchase can't increase. So if you're coming back to the example before, you, you um, commit to a one-bedroom apartment, the purchase price is $565,000 at the end of the five-year lease. If that is actually worth 600000 at that point in time, the difference there is, is to your benefit. It's not to the benefit of uh, Assemble or the, the capital that's, that's backing the project. So effectively, our, ret our returns are capped at around you know, half the level of the uh, traditional off-the-plan approach. But yeah, we're not contemplating uh, putting caveats on the titles to cap returns of um, the residents sort of beyond that period. Uh, because you know, if, we're, we're, if part of the problem here is about improving the, the quality and sustainability of apartments in Melbourne, um, you know, eventually it needs to be the market that is pushing in that direction. And if we have better quality, more sustainable apartments being sold at a premium to those apartments that aren't high quality and sustainable, then suddenly that will make more sense for developers to be supplying more of those apartments. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit more of a sort of market-based approach to the problem. Understood, yeah. I think it's interesting because, you know, uh, the the capping the return to the developer is you know for me one part of the one part of the the way in which models like assemble can lead the market so to speak um, the next thing i guess is the homeowner <laughs> you know the, we we talk a lot um, on renegade economist about uh, rent seeking in location, and we talk a lot about the uh, return to inelasticity of supply of location. So there's only one Dex Audio building. There's only one site of this quality in this area. You know, like, well, there's more in this area, but once they're built out, then you know the dynamic that has underpinned the Melbourne property market for the last sort of 20 years is not broken. So I. I, I understand that needing to um, shift an entire market away from, let's say, unscrupulous development returns, which we've seen a little bit of. I wonder if there are a place to, you know, in the culture of living closer together, to think about the way we consider uh, the returns to our own home in ownership over generations. Is it something that ever comes up in your discussions with potential clients? or potential homeowners, you know, this idea that, that um, like with Nightingale, that capped returns is, has an element of sustain, it's, it's an extension of the sustainability in, 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 the, in the housing itself? Yeah, look, I, I think um, generally speaking, uh, uh, 
the development industry is um, is trying to raise the bar with respect to quality and sustainability and affordability. And um, certainly there are a lot of problems and a lot of issues um, and have been for some time. But I think there, you know, with, with the likes of Nightingale, um, th there are some great examples that we can now look to. And the development industry is certainly, I think, trying to make some, some positive changes. The reality is, you know, the apartment market in Melbourne is very immature. Apartments only represent you know, four or five percent of total dwellings in the metropolitan area, and that compares to you know twenty, thirty percent in in sort of major European and American and Asian cities. It's um, extraordinary that because when you look at the skyline, you feel kind of overwhelmed by the presence of apartments. But of course, it's that sort of typology, isn't it? That that yeah. sort of bears down on us in some ways. And we're starting from a very low base, um, so there's a lot more apartments to come, um, uh, and let's all hope that we're doing them doing them better going forward. Well, this is certainly a start. I have a question for Abby. Will you be purchasing an apartment in the <laughs> Assemble model on Kensington? I'm very keenly looking into it. Yeah, I, I would love to. It, it definitely kind of meets all of my expectations for what I would want to see in a community. And um, yeah, and Kensington's just such a wonderful area as well. And, and I'm by no means in a position to be able to kind of purchase in the next couple of years. I need um, a lot more time, so it would be um, financially kind of the right decision for me as well. But yeah, just uh, like Ben was saying before, we'd, we want our projects to kind of give back to the communities in which they sit in a positive way and, um, and for them not to just be kind of closed off, kind of gated apartment buildings. We want our ground floor spaces to really kind of contribute positively um, to, to the neighbours, you know, down the street and around the corner. And so through our kind of consultative approach, we really want to seek input from, from the kind of existing neighbourhood to kind of hear their thoughts on what they would like to see, you know, within that space as well. And yeah, we don't, we're not trying to say that the model is going to kind of fix all problems and that it's um, the solution to everything, but we think that there's kind of a number of key benefits um, and, and positive elements to it, particularly just in that long-term pathway for people. Thank you very much. I think we'll leave it there. It was lovely to speak to you both and all the best for the, for the, the latest and greatest Assemble project. Likewise. Thanks, Emily. Thanks, Emily. Thank you. There we go. Uh, another insight into housing alternatives here on 3CR's A Renegade Economist. Emily, just wanted me to point out that the Nightingale project doesn't strictly have a capital gains cap on their formula, but it's very similar. So she wasn't too out of line, but uh, to read from their website, they say, uh, the maximum resale price of a Nightingale property cannot exceed the price you paid for it, plus the percentage increase in median house prices of the suburb where the property is located. So basically, yeah, this small measure ensures the Nightingale products don't trade at a premium price. However, it doesn't stop buyers from capturing unearned incomes from their location. So there we have it, listeners. Uh, look forward to being back with you next week as we uh, continue the push for saner economic uh, outcomes to life on this precious planet. Check the show notes at earthsharing.org.